Hello, Crossroads family and guests. We are so glad that you tuned into our podcast today. We want to let you know about our website, crossroadscommunitychurch.net. There you can find out more about church events, ministries, locations, service times, and giving options. Crossroads is one church in many places. You can find us in San Antonio, Divine, and Uvalde, Texas, as well as Albuquerque, New Mexico. We really hope that the message today would inspire and encourage you to worship passionately, serve others, share truth, follow the word, and love the church. Now let's hop into the message. Well, we had some issues on Sunday with our recording, and uh, the video went out, so we wanted to re-record. It's a very important subject, and uh, plus we want to make sure we have it available for everybody. And so this is the first message of God's great gift, sex. We're going to talk about sex today. And uh, so I want to uh, just get right into the notes, right? Everybody say sex. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Uh, In your notes, the world is attempting to usurp sex and separate our sexuality from our spirituality. Everybody say sexuality. Everybody say spirituality. Now, the world is trying to... Uh, teach us that they are distinguishable and they are not connected. And we are inundated by sex. Sex is everywhere. It's, it's, they use sex to sell everything. Uh, a mom cannot go to Walmart without buying, uh, clothes for her seven year old daughter that is, uh, sexualized clothing. It, it, it is everywhere, constant all the time. And the world is trying to steal it away. It is something that God has given us, but the world is trying to, uh, convince us that there is no connection between our spirit and, and what we do with our bodies. But I want to remind you this morning that Jesus said that we must be sanctified mind, body, and soul. My body has to be sanctified. Now we may wonder if, if my body is going to be, uh, just returned to the dust and one day I'm going to get a glorified body in heaven, then what difference does it make if my body is sanctified, I'm just going to get a new one. But the reality is that your body affects your spirit and your f- spirit affects your body. If your body is sick, then it can cause you to, to get down. It can cause you to have a, a, a negative mood or even be in a bad mood or, or depressed. In, in the same way, if you get stressed, which is more about your spirit, then that affects your body and you get high blood pressure, stroke. And so they are all interconnected. The scripture is teaching us you cannot separate the body from the spirit. They are all connected and everything that we do connected. So whatever I do with my body, whatever you do with your body matters. It matters to your mind. It matters to your heart. It matters to your spirit. It matters to your eternity. And if whatever I do with my body matters, then whatever we do sexually matters. It absolutely matters. And so I want to get right into the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, the Apostle Paul is teaching and he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried 
as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Everybody say passion. Everybody say burn. He's saying you're going to burn with passion. Now, what's interesting about what the Apostle Paul is, is teaching here is that he's actually showing us and teaching us that there is something innate down deep inside of us that we cannot control. And so in your notes there, I want to give you this. We are sexual beings made in the image of God. And so Paul is saying it's better to stay unmarried, but if you stay unmarried, there is a chance that you will burn with passion. Now, he is speaking to believers. And he, he doesn't say, if you're not strong enough, you will burn with passion. He just says it, it is very possible. So God has given us this sex drive that is so powerful that it can be overwhelming. And, and the Apostle Paul is trying to, to teach us that this is, this is just who you are. This is just part of who you are. And, and, and there, there is nothing you can do. You can't get rid of the sex drive for as long as you live until maybe at the very end when your body is decaying right before death. As long as you live, you will have a sex drive. We are sexual beings, but we have also been made in the image of God. Therefore, we cannot separate our sexuality from the fact that we have been made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And so our sex uh, sexuality cannot be seen as something that is that is dirty or something that is bad that's something that is horrible it is it is all part of who we are and, and so I, I'm not trying to suggest that being made in the image of God and being sexual it means that God is sexual because God is spirit but what I'm saying is he has put in us this sexuality to help us understand something about who he is I have been made in his image and, and so when I understand understand that it gives me some idea of who he is. And so the fact that there is a sex drive in me teaches me something about him. The fact that I cannot get rid of this sex drive and, and there's always going to be this attraction, uh, then it's teaching me that God is never going to lose his passion for me. And so the sex drive is in there and it's to help me understand this. And so sex is not dirty. It is not perverse. It is not something to be ashamed of. Sex is holy. Sex is sacred. Sex is a gift from God. And it should be treated like a gift of God. And the last thing that, and we have to understand that culture is trying to steal it away and turn it into something God never attended. And as the church, we have to make intentional effort to make sure that the devil does not steal God's gift from us. Amen. Now, let me go on to the next thing in your notes there. God intends for our sexual passion to press us into marriage. Now, what is the Apostle Paul saying here in 1 Corinthians? He's saying, if you cannot handle the passion, then get married. Right? Get married. If you can't handle it, get married. Sex is to be between a man and a woman. Now, I want to talk about this uh, marriage, getting married. Being married is not living together. It is not what we would call common law. Marriage is a legal binding contract where you say, I am responsible for you. It is a legal contract. 
And, and so this, this whole idea of, of, uh, of how our culture has said, well, just, just live together or whatever. No, marriage is a legal. I'm not saying it has to be done at the church or, or it can't be done at the courthouse, but marriage is a legal binding contract where I declare legally and publicly on paper that you are now my responsibility. My wife is my responsibility. Her pain is my pain. Her joy is my joy. Her, her financial issue is my financial issue. Her needs are my needs. And I am saying, legally, I am committed to you to help take care of you in whatever fashion that we need to do. And, and this is to inform us of, of Christ. Because Christ says he is the groom and we are the bride and Christ entered into a legal covenant on the cross. It was a blood covenant where he purchased us as his bride. He redeemed us. So now we are legally married to him and it is God's way of saying, I am responsible for you. Your pain is my pain. Your joy is my joy. Your needs are my responsibility. And he is committed to give to us all that we need according to his riches in glory. We are his bride. He has taken responsibility for us legally. And so we have this attraction and God is saying, I, I am, I want you to use this, 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 this sexuality, this sex driving to press you into marriage. Amen. All right, let's keep going now. First Corinthians seven, verse one. The Apostle Paul still teaching. He says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty. Everybody say duty, right? Uh, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife for her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, in your notes there. Within marriage, sex is a command. God is telling us once you are married, you must have sex. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Uh, you must. It, it, it is not optional. He's saying your body doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to your spouse and you yield it to them. And, and it's saying this is a duty. It is a responsibility. You must absolutely have sex in marriage. Now, obviously, there are, there are times when medically there's an issue or, or, or things like that. And I'm not trying to say just no matter what, become a sex slave to your spouse. But I'm saying as a general rule, we are commanded by God to have sex in marriage marriage. It, it is not something that, that we can think, well, maybe. No, it is a command from God. There, there are many couples in, in, in our culture today that haven't had sex in forever. And, and I can be in counseling and ask, well, when was the last time? I, I don't know. I don't even remember. 
It's been years. And in, in marriage, as Christians, we have been commanded by God that in the marriage we have sex. Now, our culture wants us to, to, to imagine that sex should be based on emotion and how you feel. So that's when you go, whoa, I'm a little tired. Got a headache. No. Sex is commanded. It is essential. It is what God has called us to do in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, let me, let me go a little bit further. Because the question is, why is it so important to God? Why? Why is it so important that he put this sex drive in us to press us into marriage? And then he says, you must have sex. Why? Why is it so important? Because it seems like, ah, you know, we, we can be married. We can love each other. We can get along and everything will be fine. We don't have to have sex. No, he says, you must have sex. Why? Why, why is this so important? Let me go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. Now, let me give you some context here. So God has made Adam, and, and God has said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God says, let's find you a mate. And, and the process of finding a mate is God brings all the animals, the alligator, aardvark, duckbill, platypus, all those to Adam, and says, what do you think about these? And, of course, they don't look so good. And, and, and then he puts Adam to sleep and makes Eve so that the first time Adam sees Eve, he goes, yes! Right? So that's the context. Let me, let's read this, verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Everybody say that, one flesh. In your notes there, sex bonds the marriage to form one flesh. When we read this one flesh, God wants you to be united in every way. He wants you to be united mentally. He wants you to have the same ideas. He wants you to have the same values. He wants you to have the, the same goals, to, have, to be like a team going after the things of God in this world. He also wants you to be united spiritually, that you have the same God, that you worship together, that you pray together, that you have a spiritual life together. But also the, the, the phrase here, one flesh, in the Hebrew, it is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. And he's saying, I want you to be one flesh physically and sexually as well as mentally and spiritually. And so he's telling us here, you are to be one flesh. Marriage is, is understand, God looks at Adam and he knows Adam is going to sin. And, and, and even though Adam hadn't sinned yet, he already knows it's going to happen. And so he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, what is good? Good is being reconciled to God. So God is saying, 
it's going to be hard for Adam to come back to me by himself. He needs help because sometimes he's going to get his mind in the wrong place. He's going to need somebody to help him. So I'm going to give him a wife. And so God's answer to man's rebellion and sin as a way of helping man return back to him is marriage. Marriage. And then in the marriage, he says, have sex. So now we begin to understand all of this is interrelated with our spirit. And God is is using this to bring us back to him. Amen? And so we have to understand that that God says you're going to need somebody. You're going to need somebody to encourage you. You're going to need somebody who who will comfort you when you're struggling. You're going to need somebody who will speak the truth to you when you're kind of going off in the wrong direction. You're going to need somebody to help you physically at times. You're going to need that and also have sex. This is what he's doing. Now let me keep going now. Genesis chapter 1. And so uh, it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. I want you to see that mankind was set above the animal kingdom. And, and when God made the animals, it, you go back and, and you read it, it, it says that the waters were teeming with fish. The word teeming means abundant. So in other words, God didn't make one male fish and one female fish and say, y'all go populate the ocean. God spoke one word and the entire ocean was populated with millions of fish. And, and with birds, God didn't make one male bird and one female bird and say, now, now y'all go and populate the sky. It, it says that he spoke a word and the skies were teeming with birds, millions of them everywhere. And so every time God creates another uh, place in, in the animal kingdom, they are teeming. They are in abundance. And so God creates this group and he says, now y'all go multiply until he gets to man. And with man, he makes one man and one woman. And he says, y'all become one flesh and multiply, be fruitful. And so in your notes there, once God created a being with an eternal soul, sex was limited to marriage between one man and one woman. You see, the difference between us and the animal kingdom is the animal kingdom has no soul. You know, people ask me all the time, do dogs go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know if they go to heaven or not. But if they do, it's not because it's not going to be because they prayed the sinner's prayer. If they go to heaven, it's because God loves us and he knows that we love our pets. And so God's going to let, you know, little fluffy go up to heaven. But but I don't go to my dogs and, and say, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? No. Because they have no soul. But as soon as there was a being with an eternal soul, God says it is no longer teeming where a bunch of you are just out there. But one man, one woman for life, have sex, be fruitful, multiply. It is intended to drive us 
into marriage. He is establishing our sexuality in marriage. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be bonded together. He intends that we use sex to bond us to our spouse. And the devil wants to convince us that we're no different than the animal kingdom. The devil wants to convince us that uh, it really doesn't matter what you do with your body as long as your soul is where it needs to be. So go have sex with whoever, whenever, however, with whomever, as much as you want, as long as you're in church on Sunday. But that it goes directly against the scripture. The animal kingdom does that. They have no soul. We have been made in the image of God, and we are, have been made for faithfulness to our spouse, our heavenly husband, and to help us understand that, he says, one man, one woman, one flesh, meaning you're not going to be with anybody else for life. We cannot let the devil steal God's gift. So let me just kind of give you a quick overview. So God has put this passion and this sex drive inside of us, and it's not going to go away. It's not going to disappear. But then he says, because it is so powerful, uh, I, I am also giving you marriage. And I want you to take your sex drive and move it into marriage. And he's pressing this into marriage. One man, one woman, a legal contract. I'm responsible for you. And, 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 and when you get married, have sex. And in fact, I am commanding you to have all the sex you want and more. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> Let me go back to the notes now. The institution of marriage is to work to form our spirit in God, whether we're married or not. So I just want to pause for a minute. I'm not trying to suggest today that the only way you can experience the fullness of God is to be married. There are many people who are called to be celibate, called to be single. There are many widows. There are many people just single, haven't been married yet. But everybody is in has been influenced by the institution of marriage because we all understand it. It has been since the time of Adam and Eve. And so it is intended to inform us even if we're not married. And so you may be thinking, well, I don't know why I came today because I ain't married. No, because marriage, sex, all of that is intended to help you understand your relationship with God. Amen? All right, let me go back into this now. Genesis 2, verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, here's what I want you to see, verse 24. That is why, so sex drive pressed into marriage. Why? Because a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Amen? Come on, women. And God said, the man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. The man will leave his mama and be united to his wife. Why do, why, what's the purpose of sex to press us into marriage? And, and, and then in marriage, you got to leave your mama and you got to go be married to your wife. You got to leave your, your, your parents and now you have a family of your own. In your notes here, our sexuality is God's gift to move us from a parental relationship to a spousal relationship. It's interesting because when we come into the world, the first relationship that we experience is as a child with parents. 
And God's wanting us to understand this, and we need to understand this, that I have a father and I have a mother who have said, we, we, we take you, we own you, we, we love you, and we're going to provide for you. And, 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 and when you're a child, when you're little, you don't, you don't worry about it. I have a, a new grandbaby, Micah, and, and when he's hungry, he never thinks to himself, am I going to eat today? No, he knows mama has food. And he says to mama, give me the food. And if you don't give me the food, I'm going to cry. Right? There, there is no question. He is absolutely, completely trusting his parents. No stress, no worry, none of that. He's not trying to figure out, how do I get here? How do I get there? He just says, wherever they take me, I'll go. And he completely trusts them. God is trying to teach me as his child that I can trust him, that he is my father, that he has taken responsibility for me, that he is the one who gives me strength. He sustains me. He protects me. He is the one who gives me a vi- I mean, he is my father, my good, good father. Amen? And I need to understand that relationship. But then he says, that's not all because you need to leave that relationship where you're connected to your parents and totally trust them. And you need to move into this relationship with a spouse and I'm going to use a sex drive to move you that direction. Move you that direction. Because as wonderful as it is to, to, have, to be a child that can totally trust their parents, as wonderful as that is, what it's doing is it's teaching me to receive. I'm receiving from my parents. My, my parents are giving to me. They're taking care of me. I don't have to worry about anything. I, I am a receiver and, and if I never get out of that mold, then when I get older, I will change from being a receiver to a taker. And I will live my whole life taking and expecting people to give to me and expecting people that they, that they owe me something. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sex drive to move you into marriage. And then I'm going to bond you with that person through sex so that you move from this, this mindset of receiving and being a taker. So now you have said, I am responsible for you. And now instead of being a taker, you become a giver. You become a giver. Ephesians 5, 29, verse 33. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And you know, sir, the relational movement forms us to be givers more than takers. He's saying, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do? He gave himself up for the church. He is the ultimate giver. And he's saying, now you love your wife the same way. And he says, wife, be submissive to your husbands. In other words, give up your agenda and submit your life to him. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to use a sex drive to press you into marriage. And then once you're in marriage, man, you live your life for woman. And woman, you live your life for man. And both are becoming givers instead of takers because Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
My understanding is uh, uh, the fullness of God. I need both the parental relationship and the spousal relationship. I have to understand that he is my God. He is never going to leave me. He is always there. He is capable like my father. He, he is able to do immeasurably more than whatever I can ask or imagine. I receive from him. He is my giver. But I also have to understand God as a giver. And, and I can't understand how much he wants to give to me until I have been put in a place where it is my job to take responsibility for somebody else and say, I will give up everything. This is trying to teach me that God is continually sacrificing all of his energy is for me all of it but I can't understand that until he puts me in a relationship and then says now let all of your energy be for her and he's teaching me not too long ago Amy was having a a difficult time at work and uh, we talked about it the night before but that morning um, she was having a hard time. Now, I had a lot on my plate, and I needed to go. And so I, I went up, and I, I gave her a kiss goodbye. You know, she's up there blow-drying her hair. It's been going on for like four hours. That's, you know, that's about how long it takes. And and, and I give her a kiss, and I, I'm going to go, babe. And, and so I started to walk away. And, and as I'm almost out of the bedroom, I hear her begin to talk. <laughs> You ever, you ever experienced that man where you're you're walking away and all of a sudden your wife starts talking to you as if you're still there? And, and so I realize it and I realize she's upset. So I go back and and I didn't even think twice. I was gonna be late to wherever I needed to go because my wife needed me. I was gonna stay. She's my wife. I've taken responsibility for her. I am called to give up my life for her. Now, on the other hand, the other day, Zach was bringing uh, Micah to daycare, and it was like the first or second day of, of daycare, and y'all remember what it was like when you first took your child to daycare, and what a glorious day that was, amen? And, and so there it is, and, and we pull up at the same time, and I see Micah, and I think, all right, I'm going to get a little Micah time. So I, I take Micah, and I'm loving on him and, and just having a good old time, and, and then I say, here you go, Dad. And he said, you don't want to take him into the daycare? I said, no, that's, a, that's not a pop's duty. That is a dad duty. Right now, I love Micah, and I love my son. But, but I, I wasn't going to do that because I'm a granddad now. It's my job to give my grandbaby, you know, uh, barbacoa and big red, not to put him in places he don't want to be. It's my job to, to, to just have the happy fun times, right? <laughs> Amen? Uh, but my wife, that's a different relationship. It's deeper. I, I will sacrifice more for my wife. God is calling me to be a giver in the relationship, husband and wife, and he uses the sex drive to press me into that. Amen? Let me read this, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In your notes, we can't experience the fullness of God until we learn to be a giver. It, it is interesting that the Apostle Paul, when he's trying to teach us about love, which is sacrifice, it is doing what's best for the other person, even if it means personal sacrifice. That's what love is. And, and in the context of him teaching me about this, he said, you got to quit thinking like a child. You have to move from a parental relationship to a spousal relationship. And sex is designed to help us grow up in this marriage relationship. It's our motivator and our bonding agent into this new relationship that forms me in Christ so that I understand not only as my father, but also my husband who is living for me every day. We cannot let the devil steal away this gift. In, in the 1960s, we had the sexual revolution. It started with men. Men abandoned the confines of marriage and began to sleep around like they had never done before. And then you had the feminist movement where women said, whatever you can do, we can do better. And, and, and they became sexually free and began to express themselves and sleep around. And, and now we have seen this movement move into homosexuality which is not just same-sex attraction, but there, there was this, uh, uh, this overt hypersexuality that comes with it that has now moved us into gender fluidity and gender dysmorphia and transgenderism. And, and the next thing that's happening, there are already states trying to pass laws that make pedophilia legal. This is all happening. The idea of sex with anyone, anywhere, anyhow, anyway, as much as you want, and it has no bearing on anything else in your life. It's just something to do. That's hogwash. Now, at the same time that we've had the sexual revolution, we've had this enormous increase in immorality. We have seen the highest good now is your personal freedom or my personal freedom. So the highest good is for me to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And so that makes the greatest evil anyone who tells me what I can or cannot do. 
And so we've moved from the highest good of being love, which is personal sacrifice for somebody else for what's good for them, to now you got to just leave me alone and let me do what I want, even if it hurts you. This is immorality. This is unethical. This is wickedness. And so the sexual revolution, as it has moved, we have seen an increase in wickedness. We have seen sexual immorality, the pursuit of pleasure, addiction, the decline of the work ethic because we become lazy because we just want to sit around and, and be, have, have pleasure. We don't want to get up and sacrifice for a boss any more than we do one for, for a spouse. There is violence. There is division. There is hatred. I want to share with you some statistics between the generations and how things have changed since the sexual revolution. Millennials now are three times more likely to remain unmarried than those coming of age in the 60s. Three times. They just don't want to get married. Why? Because marriage bogs them down. They don't want to do it. They want to live their life. I want to be me. Here's another one. 50% of millennials believe that prenuptial agreements are necessary. First of all, I'm thinking millennials, they don't have no money. But, but the, the fact that 50% think you must do this is telling us they are not going into marriage to love the other person. They are going in to protect themselves. The whole idea of love has been totally turned upside down since the sexual revolution. When, when we get outside of God's design for marriage, one man and one woman legally married, we go crazy. We become so selfish that we just go crazy. Let me give you another one. 77% of millennials prefer to live with their partner before being married just to try them out. They're not saying, I want to marry you and give you my love no matter what, for better, for worse. No, no. What they're saying is, I want to live with you to see if you're going to be good enough for me to stay with you. Sex is God's gift to keep us in marriage. One man, one woman, legally married. To keep us formed as givers rather than takers. Willing to sacrifice to give up our life. If we, as a family in your family unit, you as a, a, in your extended family, as a church body, as in the Christian world, if we will take back this gift of sex and use it as God has designed within marriage, we will see a reversal of this, at least within our own context. And in our own families, our own churches, and in, in the Christian world, we will see a return of love and respect, but also morality and ethics and peace, because they are connected. I want to challenge you, maybe today you need to have a sexual reset. There's not anybody in this room or anybody watching that has not been affected by our culture and how it is trying to press us to separate our sexuality from our spirituality. And we got to take back this gift. We got to take it back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody who would hear this message. And Lord, we must confess all of us have been guilty at one time or another, whether it's in our body or in our mind, of of using sex in a way that is contrary to your word, to your will. 
And so, Lord, we just pray right now that you would forgive us, and we thank you because you have already told us that you would forgive us. You've already said that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we just pray right now that you would help us. And, Lord, for any that that need to say, Lord, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to end the affair. I'm going to quit withholding myself from my spouse. I'm going to quit sleeping around. Whatever it may be, Lord, give them the discipline. And may your Holy Spirit bless them as they make today a day to reset themselves sexually. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for all the goodness that you've given us in everything. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. Hey, I just want to say thank you for your time and listening today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share it with your friends. We believe this message can be helpful to a lot of people. To help them find us, we would appreciate if you left a review of the podcast today. Check out Pastor Lee's blog at pastorlee.net and you can find us on Instagram at crcc underscore sw and Facebook forward slash where life changes. Here at Crossroads, we exist to love people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to invite you along with us to live this out every day. Thank you.